Bibles this morning. We're actually going to do something a little bit different this morning. We're going to move to uh, a text in First Peter. After last week, uh, we've been we've been moving through the uh, the book of First Timothy, Paul's admonition to his uh, to his disciple to his mentee Timothy. Um, and and I I found myself thinking after last Sunday that there was a there was a concept that had kept, that kept coming up throughout the course of our study in 1 Timothy, um, and that was of the affection. So, so as we've been working through 1 Timothy, something that Paul was pouring into Timothy was, was the understanding of the affections. We'll flesh that out, and you'll, you'll kind of have a clearer picture of what I mean when I say the affections. But as we've been going through 1 Timothy, we've been really uh, desiring to build a, an understanding of what church is and a healthy understanding of what church is so that we can live out together uh, according to what uh, God has commanded us. So we've been saying throughout the course of this that church is not a building, church is the people of God, that we get together in community to live out what God has commanded for us uh, to do. Um, the Christian life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, it actually cannot be lived in isolation, it needs to be surrounded by people who are encouraging, building up, edifying, rebuking, whatever it might be uh, within the Word of God. But... Um, something that we, we've sort of hinted at throughout this time together has been that that, that has to come out of the uh, deep gospel impact that, that the Word of God has and what the understanding what God has done for us in Jesus bears in our life. And so that's kind of where we want to go this morning. And so we want to take a bit of a, a detour around, um, around 1 Timothy and get to uh, this First Peter text, because I think it's really important for us to have a deep and a, a long uh, longing for Jesus Christ, and that can only happen if we're pressing into texts like this together. So we're going to turn our attention to this concept of the affections, um, and I've, again, I've made mention to these on a few occasions, but I think that we really just need to flesh this idea out more together. Um, remember, okay, so some of this was born out of uh, a, a verse that we read and looked at last week together, and that was 1 Timothy 4.15. Um, if you'll remember, Paul writes to Timothy here in this, in this verse, and this verse is one that's often overlooked, I think, when we, when we read through 1 Timothy. But in 1 Timothy 4.15, Paul writes to Timothy, take pains with these things. Basically, everything that I've written to you up until this point, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, be absorbed in these gospel understandings so that your progress will be evident to all. And so that's where this is coming from, this, that, that verse is so important for us uh, to understand, to be absorbed, to be immersed in gospel truth together, um, and then our affections, as we'll talk about now, will follow suit. Um, okay, so... But let's go then to 1 Peter together. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. So let me read this together for us this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and 
undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you will greatly, you greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So Peter is writing here something. He's writing two, two very distinct sections here in this text for us this morning. Um, we look at verses 3 through 5 in particular, and he's just laying out the good news of the gospel for us. Um, and then verses 6 through 9, we see him giving us a greater, bigger understanding of what the, uh, uh, an understanding of the gospel has for us and how that fleshes itself out in our daily life, primarily in verse 8. But believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Okay, so the big idea that I want to give you this morning is this. This is our big idea this morning. Gospel impact, the impact, the understanding of gospel truth on our life. Gospel impact stirs, stirs our affections, leading us to deeper love for the person of Jesus and obedience to what we are commanded. I'll say that again. Gospel impact stirs our affections, leading us to deeper love for the person of Jesus and obedience to what we are commanded. So this morning, as we look through this text, as we consider the affections and what that actually means and how they bear themselves out in our lives, um, we're going to do three things. We're going to just talk like, about what the affections are. We're just going to give you a definition. We're going to talk through that. And then we're going to talk about the affections and the, the implications for us on, our, on the personal level. And then we're going to talk about the affections and what they mean for us as a church. What does this mean for us as a church? And this is kind of where we've been going throughout this series. We always conclude with what this means for us as a church because that's uh, what we're called to. That's what we're, what's being born out in us as we look through First uh, Timothy and now this morning in First Peter. So let's talk about this. What are the affections? Um, a lot of this understanding comes from Jonathan Edwards. He was a, um, he was a, a theologian about 250 years ago, an American theologian uh, who lived probably highly regarded and thought to be the greatest uh, American theologian in history. Um, he gives this definition of the affections. He wrote about the affections a lot. He, he writes this about the affections, and, and just, just, just track with me as I, as I read this, and we'll, we'll flesh this out more. The affections are the more vigorous and sensible exercises of the inclination of the will of the soul. Okay, wow. Okay. All right. What is it? Let me read that again. The affections are the more vigorous and sensible exercises of the inclination of the will of the soul. That plays really well in 1750. It doesn't really play well in 2016, so let's, let's talk about what he's saying there. Um, basically, what affects you will result in a positive shift towards, what affects you will result in a positive shift towards what, what Peter is writing in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. 
What affects you will result in a positive shift towards an unquenchable joy, a heightened sense of satisfaction and contentment. So what affects you will result in a positive shift in your life away from something that you find little contentment, little joy, little peace in, and towards something that, that gives you joy, something that gives you satisfaction and gives you contentment. Or even more simply this, you will be inclined to do what you love. You will be inclined to do what you love. You will be inclined to do what you enjoy. You will be inclined to do what satisfies you, or you will be inclined to do what you find contentment in. You will be inclined to do those things. So the affections then provide the outworkings of that by which you are affected. <coughs> Use the definition, or the word in the definition, that's okay. We're among friends here. So the affections provide the outworkings of that by which you are affected. So in 1 Peter then, in verses 3 through 5, he's giving us the gospel. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is the good news of the gospel. We have an eternal hope. We have an inheritance which is imperishable, um, we have an, and, and that inheritance is also undefiled. It's not going away. It's reserved in heaven for us. We have the Spirit as a seal of that understanding. We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that will be revealed for us in the last time. So this is the gospel. Peter just lays it out, puts it all out on the line for us. And then 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 gives us this gospel impact, the stirring of the affections. And it all kind of comes to a head there in verse 8, where we see a joy inexpressible and full of glory. So Edward's understanding that our understanding subsequently of the affections should be this. Um, this is how we live, we live our lives. How we live our lives is directly dictated by how our affections are stirred. Our lives are lived or directly impacted by the way that our affections are stirred. You do what you're inclined to do or what you desire to do. What you want to do, you do. You're saying, well, there are a lot of times where I don't want to do what I want to do, but there are, there are motivations that exist, and so we're going to talk about that here in one second. If you don't feel joy or you're not affected by something, but do it anyway, you're operating contrary to how you are affected, or there's something under the surface that's affecting you even more deeply. Let me give you an example. This is the easiest example that I can come up with. Food, okay? Food. Is, is really a really simple example. We all eat, right? So um, here's the idea. I love hamburgers. I really love hamburgers. So when I go to a restaurant and I look at the menu and I pull up the menu and I'm like, I, look, I typically go straight to the burgers. Like I was like, what's good here? Probably the hamburgers. So I'm going to go there. And I look there and, 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 and what I do is go straight to the hamburgers and since I'm not really all that into salads, not looking at the salads. I'm not going to the salads. Give me the red meat. I don't need the leafy greens. Um, the uh, but but when I so so as I'm looking at 
the, the menu and I flip directly to the burgers, I'm, I'm being affected by what I'm inclined to do. Like, what, what do I love here on this menu? Well, I love, I know I like burgers, so I'm going to go there. I act according to what affects me and what my appetite in this instance dictates. Here's the, here's the flip side, though, and this, this is we've got to put our thinking caps for this one. I might be inclined to order a salad, even though in my heart of hearts, I love burgers more than salads. I might be inclined to order a salad because I want my wife, who I'm on a date with, I want her to think that I'm making a healthy choice. <laughs> and so, in that moment, what I'm doing is I'm saying what affects me more deeply is the uh, is my wife's good opinion of my healthy choices than my own desire for a burger. I want my wife to say, hey, he looks, he's, he's making a healthy choice. Congratulations. But at the same time, what I'm doing is, is saying that opinion, that understanding that she has of who I am, affects me more deeply than my desire to, I'll eat a salad. Salads are good. Just not as good as burgers. But I might be inclined to move in another direction. So there's always something underlying, right? So if every time you go to the restaurant, every time you go to the restaurant and you see something that you love, right? on that menu, but you order something different. Maybe I want to try something new this time. You're being affected by your desire to try something new over what you know um, will, will satisfy you uh, and satisfy your, and you find satisfaction then, or contentment or joy in trying something new above something that already is a taste that you've acquired. Okay, so food, that's the simplest example of this. We want, to, we want to eat, we want to pursue something that affects us, that we find joy, contentment, uh, and, uh, and satisfaction in. And this is the understanding of the affections then. We are affected, we do what we desire to do, we do what we love, we do uh, what, what will bring us joy, or what we believe will bring us joy or contentment um, or satisfaction in, in our lives. Okay. So, so that's the understanding that of the affection. So we kind of had to we had to go down that path to, to find out what they are. But now we want to see like how these bear themselves out in our personal lives. Like what what does this actually look like? What does this mean for us outside of burgers and salads, right? Um, the personal application piece first needs to be preceded by an understanding and a direction that we all need to go where we have an honest discussion with ourselves in our hearts about who we believe God is. Like, do we have a correct view of who God is? And what our position before him is. Mark even alluded to this earlier when, when we were singing, and he was talking about in his quiet time, he came to the recognition, the realization became very real to him, that, that the wrath of God is a thing, and that it's set against those who are outside of Christ. So let's just going to run through this, right? God who's creator of the world. We must have a correct view of who God is in our position before him. Therefore, God is creator of the world. Everything belongs to God. God has specific demands given to us in his law for humanity. That's, hot. That's a tough word in 2016. God has specific demands. These are unwavering truths that God has for humanity. God is holy. God is completely without sin. He's set apart entirely. God is holy. God cannot be in the presence of sin. Violating God's law is sin. God's wrath is set against those who violate his law, who sin against him. Those are the realities. That is the reality. But then, 
as we consider the affections, as we consider who God is and our position before Him, then we must have a proper recognition of that, uh, despite our own position, that God has made a way for us. And this is 1 Peter 3-5. through This is the Gospel. God has shown us mercy. God looked at Jesus instead of us and poured out His wrath upon Him instead of us if we put our trust and faith in Him. Jesus was raised on the third day, and because of that, we have a hope that we also will be raised. And God has secured the inheritance of the resurrection from the dead for us. It cannot be, as Peter says here in this text, it cannot be taken away. We who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you're protected by the power of God, it can't be taken away. Otherwise, you have an incorrect view of who God is. Okay, so, so first thing for us personally, we must have a correct view of how, who God is, our position before God, and then how God has made a way for us to commune, to have relationship with Him. But then there are two considerations here also that we must take into, must take, uh, into account. Um, although there is a textbook understanding of this truth that I've just laid out for us, although there's a textbook understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus, it may not directly heighten our joy or contentment or satisfaction in Him. There's a, there's a headpiece that can exist. The affections for us are both believing the truth and acting upon them as a result of the joy and satisfaction and contentment found in Him. A simple textbook understanding where that joy isn't present wouldn't result in any outward expression. So there's this head piece, right? We can get everything clogged up in our brains, but if it hasn't, if it hasn't made, our, made its way into our whole being and our whole uh, existence is an outworking of what God has done for us in Jesus, then, then, then we've, we've only caught one side of this. But then there's a flip side, right? We talked about this last week too. There is a behavior modification piece that can exist. Where we can simply just like show up here and it's really easy for like an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes or however long we're together and maybe once a week in community group. It's really easy to get together and just sort of make, make it, everything look good. Like make our worlds look good. We're just like, here, here we are. Yeah, praise Jesus. That's okay. Look at all the good things I'm doing. Um, look at how emotionally I'm responding in corporate worship. And, and so like the, what, what seems to look like uh, an outworking of gospel truth is just a facade. And that's the flip side of this danger. If it's coming out of a place where there's no foundation, it's empty and will quickly fade, and this is the big deal, will quickly fade in the face of trials. As soon as life gets tough, bam, we're, we focus back in on ourselves. We've turned back in on ourselves. We say, my life is hard. My life is hard, and I can't, I can't make, and I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I got financial problems. I've got personal problems. I've got relationship problems. We turn quickly back on ourselves, and we don't, we're not resting. We're not, we're not impacted by the truth of the gospel and behavior modification will leave us empty and uh, broken in the face of trials. But even look at uh, look at uh, what uh, Paul or Peter writes. I'm sorry, in verse six. In this, you greatly rejoice, even now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Trials are coming, he says. 
But if you have been impacted, if your affections are stirred because of the work of Jesus Christ in your life, then you will, um, you will in the face of these trials, be able to rejoice. So what we need to grasp here is that gospel impact finds its home in our affections. If the gospel is deeply impacting us, then we are moving out from a place of a place of introspection to a place of serving the body, to living out the one another's, to um, to to uh, letting our gifts bear themselves out within the context of the local church. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. If we believe that the gospel. If we believe the gospel and that it impacts us, then we'll believe the truth of the gospel and act according to that belief because of our affection for Jesus Christ. Remember, going back to burgers and salads, remember if I see that burger on the menu, I'm ordering that before a salad because I know that I'll find more satisfaction and contentment and joy in consuming a burger because eating a burger is in step with my desires. I'm affected in a positive way when I think about burgers, so I make that choice. So the question for us then is, are we affected in a positive way? Are we affected in a way of when we think about what God has done for us in Jesus? And are we making our choices or are we running everything that we do through that filter and through that grid? That's deep gospel impact. Immersion in the gospel, as Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15, that is, or it begins to affect us dramatically now working as God-glorifying fruit in our lives. Okay, so two statements I want to make here, and I want you to hear these very, or just listen to these very closely. Good works, deeds, and actions don't please God because they prove to God our worth or our merit or our goodness. Good works, deeds, and actions don't please God because they prove to God our goodness or our merit. This is the definition of moralism. This is behavior modification. We just take our lives, we just say, this is what God demands from me, and I'm going to try my hardest to do that. This is the, this is the counterpoint. This is, this is what God demands. Good words, deeds, actions please God because they prove that we are affected deeply by his marvelous work for us. These are gospel-driven affections. Good works, deeds, actions please God because they prove that we are affected deeply by his marvelous work for us. We're not justified by our work, but our work is, a, is an outworking of the understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus. These are gospel-driven affections. And that's why Samuel says to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22, he says to him, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And why David writes in Psalm 40, he writes this, Sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. I delight in to do your will, oh my God. So sacrifice is and was for, for Saul and for David, um, not just, a, or it was a sin-absolving, righteousness-building, law-keeping exercise that generated no affections. It could, and that was the intent of it, but for Saul, it didn't. It didn't generate those affections. Obedience, though, on the flip side, acts out of the understanding that Christ is the perfect sacrifice, and in him our sin is absolved, our sin is taken away, the law has been kept, and righteousness has been given to us. 
is not generated in us, it's been given to us. And so we can stand before a God, a holy God, whose wrath was previously set against us, and he can look at us and say, I see the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and welcome us into his presence. These are the affections that understanding generates and will drive us to Jesus. Okay, so that's the, that's the personal side for us. So now let's think through some of these things on the corporate side. Let's think of what does this mean for us together as a church? I'm going to give you three statements, and they're all going to start with this. When we are affected by and find our joy or satisfaction or contentment in the person of Jesus Christ and what he is for us, the first one, we will care for one another. Okay, so our society is historically one that's fixated on self. I think like in a lot of instances, even our society is one that's like founded on the, the idea that my good is the highest good, my good is the best good, and a lot of things that we see happening in our society today are a direct result of the, the elevation of the individual over everything else. The elevation of the individual, that's a slippery slope, and it always will be, and forever. Um, and so, that stands contrary to the biblical view and that our good is always the greatest good. It's, it's simply not. In a loving marriage, biblically, you put your spouse first. You exist to serve your spouse. Their needs are always more important than your needs. In a, as a father or a mother, you put your needs, although your child may not understand what their needs are, they might want cupcakes, but they need asparagus, the, the needs of your children, you always put those before your own. That's what it means to be a parent, to put the needs of your children before your own. As a partner or participant together in the local church, we exist to care for one another, to put the needs of others above our own needs. This is one reason why we do, we do community groups together, why we emphasize that so often. If you've been with us for a while now, community groups are sort of at the ground level of what we do. Um, we, we, we want community, we want to exist together in order that we, we can carry out these commands given to us in Scripture together as people to care for one another. Um, and so, like this morning, I would just admonish you, if you've been on the fence about trying out, checking out a community group, um, I'm, I'm, I'm kicking you off. Like, it's time to kicking you off the fence. Um, what we need to do is, um, is think together about getting plugged in. It's not hard. We're just doing an hour or two every week. We're eating together. We're living life together. Um, we're, we're just encouraging and edifying one another. It's a non-threatening environment. Um, but in order to be obedient and to care for each other, to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to live in a way according to what God has commanded us in Scripture, we need to be seeking opportunities to do that. And we think that the community group setting is just sort of like a low-hanging fruit for that. Like, that's why we do it. We just say, hey, here's, a, here's, a, here's a one tangible way that we can all put together on our calendars once a week to get together, to live life together, to be doing that regularly in order that we carry out what God has commanded for us together corporately as a people. And, and you might think, well, it doesn't fit my schedule. Right now we have like four or five going. Make space for it. This isn't, okay, so here it comes. 
This is what we say like our society is one that's built on the individual and my good is the highest good. Um, here, here it comes. It's not about you. Like, it's not about you. It's not about you. I'm just going to keep saying that. It's not about you. It's not about you and what you need out of this group. It's about what we need together. And we need you. Like, we need you to be a part of what we're doing together as a church. Because that's what God, is. it's the way that you're working out your own walk and your commandment. It's the way that we're working it out together. This isn't about someone in there, someone in a group that you might have the time to, to attend needs your encouragement, needs your friendship. We're all wired differently and we mesh in different ways and, and sometimes we, it's, it's hard to, 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 to see that or to, to, to figure out how that looks. Um, but you might be the one that needs to be uh, an agent of uh, gospel impact in the life of someone in our community. Um, the other, the other, some other objections just simply might be, well, I did it and there's nothing there for me. Um, again, this is about living out the commands of Christ. It's not about you. We're not doing consumerism. Um, I went to Walmart last night and we were looking for baby hangers and whatever. They didn't have baby hangers, but I'm a consumer. And so I walk into that environment and I'm like, where are the baby hangers at? And the baby hanger, you know, not the baby hangers like the where you hang the clothes. So the the understanding that that like for me, like you're like, where is it? I'm a consumer. I need to, I need to consume these goods and services at this moment. Um, and and it was it was hard hard to find them. If we bring that mentality into our community, we're never going to do anything together. Another objection is about there's not community elsewhere. Great, but it's not about community. We, we say it's about community, like the life of Buffalo City Church is born out, exists um, in community. Um, but in, in a way, that's just the conduit for this gospel impact together. So in that community that you find, are you, are you pressing each other to be affected by the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you? That's the question. That's the filter. That's what we do together. Are we doing that together? So when we are affected by and find our joy or satisfaction and contentment in the person of Jesus Christ and what he is for us, we will care for one another. That's the first corporate application. The second corporate, corporate application is this. When we are affected or when we are affected by and find our joy or satisfaction or contentment in the person of Jesus Christ and what he is for us, we will fulfill the mission of the church. So the mission of the church is simply this, to make disciples. Like that's why we exist together. Or it could be said that the mission of the church is to see every person in every place at every time in every stage affected by the truth of the gospel. Those who have their affections heightened will act accordingly in obedience and make disciples by sharing the gospel's work in his or her or life and demonstrating how the gospel impacts us daily. How does the gospel impact us daily? And remember last week we talked about this, that you're, we're all making disciples all of the time. There's someone in your world who looks up to you. It doesn't matter who you are. It's like, well, there's no one who looks up to me. That's not true. Someone is looking to you. You're setting an example. You are modeling something for someone. 
because of what people hear you talk about and see you do, you're always making disciples. Okay, and so like this understanding as we were like fulfilling the mission of the church and doing this together, um, it's like, here's, this is the best example that I can come up with, it's like you're always telling a friend how much you love to fish, so you go fishing together, but you have no idea what you're doing, right? You're getting wrapped up in the line, you're tripping over it, um, I don't even know anything about fishing, so I'm not even going to try to say anymore. <laughs> your, you know, your, friend is, your friend is immediately going to say to you, well, I thought, I thought you'd love to fish. I thought you loved to fish. You say, yeah, I do, but I never do it. Yeah, right. Like, I don't believe you. This is what this is about. We're fulfilling the, the, the mission of the church by being affected, being impacted by the good news of the gospel, and taking that out beyond the walls here, making disciples. So we claim to love Jesus and want to follow him, but we don't pay attention to what he commands us to do. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. He's saying this. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He's saying, a heart affected by who I am for you will result in obedience to what I've commanded you. Again, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. What, what, what's happening is not that keeping his commands are, are generating the love piece. It's because he set his love upon us, because he's given us grace, because he showed us mercy, and that our understanding of that works outward in an obedience to what he's commanded us. So you can't have one without the other. This is what this is saying. This is a holistic approach in understanding what Jesus is saying. Love with no obedience is just an intellectual exercise. Love without obedience is just an intellectual exercise. Obedience with no love is just behavior modification. It's just modifying our behavior. It's just moralism. It's just putting ourselves in this place where we're saying, here we are, these are the things that we're doing because we have to, um, and not because we have an understanding of what God has done for us. And Jesus, stirred affections always result in love poured out in obedience. Okay, so this is the last one this morning. When we're affected by and find our joy or satisfaction or contentment in the person of Jesus Christ and what he is for us, we will grow together. We will grow together. Why? Because we will love God's word and seek greater understanding for it. Because we love God's word and we will seek greater, uh, we will seek greater understanding of it. Too many Christians in their years or years in their Christian lives and they're drinking skim milk when they could be eating filet mignon. They're drinking skim milk when they could be eating filet mignon. I don't know, maybe, maybe filet mignon is not your thing. But you know what I'm saying, like skim milk, filet mignon. One is like $2.50 on the menu and one is like $45. Like there is a huge difference. But too many of us are years into our Christian life and we're drinking the skim milk. I don't know where this example comes from, but we're slapping band-aids on severed arms. We need the wound to be cauterized. We're bleeding out. Because we have no understanding or no filter or no way to understand what's going on in our world. So we take a band-aid and we slap it on our arm. It's a severed arm. What we need is for it to be cauterized. That sounds weird, but our world is broken. And some of us are going from broken situation to another. We're churned through the garbage of life. Maybe as a result of what you do. Maybe as a result of not what you do. We're being affected by divorce. We're affected by cancer. We're being affected by abuse. We need these wounds to be cauterized by the hope of the resurrection. 
The prospect of an eternity spent in the presence of God. This is what 1 Peter 1, or 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9 is saying to us. We're greatly rejoicing, even if we're distressed by various trials. And it's resulting in a joy on the inexpressible and full of glory. Are there circumstances and past problems not going to hurt anymore? No, of course not. That's not what that's saying. But too many of us run to things that can't address our hurt. Maybe it's substances, maybe it's gossip, maybe it's food, maybe it's sex, maybe it's human relationships. But too many of us are picking up uh, books in, the, in the, the Christian living section at the bookstore and not going to the very words of God that we have in our hands this morning. And here's the good news, right? This is part of the good news. We're all here and we're all in this together. We're all doing this together. If you think that there's not pain in my world, if you think that there's not pain in the world of the person on your left or your right, you're wrong. Like, you're just wrong. This is the truth, Christian. You've been, you have in you, you have in you the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And who exists partially to illumine scripture to you, to the words of God. This is why I said earlier we need each other. We need each other. Why? The church, God's people, is God's ordained place for his saints to grow in knowledge, awe, and affection for him. In order to do that, we must work together to stir our affections for God. Here are just some practical ways, and I'll leave you this with this. Intentionally reminding each other when we're out fishing together to see that God has created the water, the sky, the clouds, the sunset. They're all his handiwork. And the same God who created those things loves you so deeply that he sent his son, despite your rebellion, to clear a path for you to have a relationship with him. And this summer, as you're traveling, remind each other to marvel at God's goodness in the simple breaths that you take. The simple breaths that you take. And that God's presence extends billions of light years away. He's just as present a billion light years away as he is in the seat of your car. And that he is totally sustaining you. And even though he's that big and has that much going on, he's sustaining everything, every planet, every molecule, everything in our universe is being totally upheld by the power of God. He has placed his love upon you and redeemed you in order that you might bring glory. So we need to be growing in awe of God and what he's done for us. We do that by simply reminding each other of those amazing truths. And as we do that, our affections will become apparent and we will live out this deep gospel impact in our communities. I just want to leave you with this quote. Um, it's from a friend of mine who's writing about Edwards. The, the guy who gave that definition that sounded weird at the beginning. He wrote this. What our hearts need Raised affections for the certainty of divine truths of Scripture centered in the person of work of Christ will motivate us unto self-sacrificing spiritual worship for His name's sake. Let's pray.